watching a good movie, maybe. We saw Star Wars the other night, by the way. It's a good movie. Uh, <laughs> reading a great book. Okay? All those things, don't those things seem to you like joy? But they're not. That's not joy. In reality, that's happiness. See, in our English language, happiness and joy, they kind of go side by side. But there is a difference. Henry Nouwen, who's an author and a former Catholic priest, uh, he once described the difference between happiness and joy. He said it like this. Happiness is dependent on external conditions. Joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, not sickness, not failure, not emotional distress, oppression, war, or even death, can take that love away. See, happiness is dependent on our circumstances. Tonight, we get together and have a good time. We have good food. We're all going to be happy, right? But joy is not dependent on that. It does not play into that at all. There's a great, great example of this in Scripture. If you have your Bibles handy, turn to Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. And he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I'm going to stop there for just a second because Paul does something that is like parenting 101. He repeats himself for emphasis. Anybody that's a parent has done this or does do this when you're talking to your kids. I still do it and my kids are grown. I'll give you a great example. It can be 23 degrees outside. Ian comes downstairs to go to school, grabs the car keys, heads out to the garage in a short sleeve shirt. And I say, put on a coat. And he says to me, well, uh, I think I have a windbreaker in the car. I said, put on a coat. <sighs> so then he goes and does it. I have to say it twice. It's 23 degrees outside. You would think he'd step out and go, hey, I need a coat. Right? Paul is doing something very similar that we all do. It's this quick tool here. If I repeat it, there's emphasis. And if I emphasize this, maybe you'll get the point. Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. If you were paying attention last week when Pastor Chris was up here preaching, he was talking about the importance of context. Cultural context and historical context. It's very important when we read this letter to the Philippians that we remember that when Paul is writing this, Paul is not sitting on a beach in Mount. He doesn't have on Bermuda shorts and black socks with sandals because Paul's an older guy and that's, that's the goal, right? He doesn't have that, that little drink in his hand with the umbrella. Historically, Paul's in prison when he writes this. This is what... Bible uh, historians refer to as one of the prison epistles. Paul was under house arrest most likely in Rome. We're not positive, but most historians believe that that's where he was when he wrote this letter. Under arrest and very assuredly thinking that the end might be coming soon. Certainly not a time that we would associate with the word rejoice. 
But Paul says, rejoice. Always. Again, I will say to you, rejoice. He goes on to say, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love that last part. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. See, this brings us to the second thing about joy that's important to remember, is that joy breeds contentment. The Greek word that we translate as joy in our Bible, uh, most often in the New Testament, is more accurately defined as calm delight. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I thought to myself, you know, I, that seems like two different things. Calm is one thing. Delight does not look calm to me, right? Always. But with joy, there is a calm delight. There's a contentment with joy. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It's kind of funny because today's society, it tells us that we, we should be happy and we should be full of joy. And then it proceeds to try to tell us how to be happy and full of joy. You see, all you need is that new iPhone and you'll be full of joy. All you need is that fancy car, that better job, that bigger house, more money, more friends. But what's interesting is about all of these things is how fleeting the happiness in those things brings and how it leaves us always wanting more. There's an interesting case study. Thinking of musicians for just a second, I'm going to pick three. They're going to seem kind of odd. Elvis Presley, okay, Prince, Michael Jackson, all respectively at the top of their musical fields at one time. They all had everything. Everything that those of us who don't have look and go, wow, they've got to be really content. Don't they? They've got the money. They've got the fame. They've got the attention. They've got all that. And all three of these men suffered from chronic depression. And not the medical condition, chronic depression. No, no. Chronic discontentment. They were never content with where they were or what they had. There was always that next thing. See, further in uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians, he writes this. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We all know that last part, don't we? 
you see it everywhere. You see it on T-shirts and you know magnets and bumper stickers. And all. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But Paul's writing this in prison, and he says, you know, I, I can be content when my stomach is full. It probably wasn't full. I'd be, I can be content when I'm sleeping in a nice feathered bed. He was probably sleeping on a cold floor. So, he says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And that brings me to my truth to you for today. And that's this. If I'm not content with where I am and what I have now, I won't become content when I get blank. Now, some pastors, when they're uh, teaching, they, they put things like this up on a screen. And they may even put it in the bulletin and have that blank there to see if you're paying attention so you can fill in the blank when, they, when I say it to you. So I would read it and say, I won't become content when I get... And then you write it down. Like, that's the answer. But the trick to this is that this is completely subjective to every single one of us in this room. Because I don't know what it is that you think you need to, to become content. I won't become content when I get out of school. I won't become content when I make that girl like me or when I make that boy like me or when I get that new car or when I get that job that I'm looking for or when I just make it through this holiday season. If I'm not content with where I am and what I have right now, I won't become content when I get So how do we acquire this joy? How do we get this? How do we get this contentment? Well, there's two ways I want to talk to you about that we can get this. And first, uh, this was completely unplanned, but um, I did want to share this with you because I'm talking about joy as a choice. And uh, there was a story that I ran across while I was doing my studying for, the, for this particular sermon. And the author of uh, the hymn that we sang today, which was not pre-planned, um, the author says, uh, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. He wrote those words on a boat as he was crossing the same passage of water where he had lost his children in a previous boat accident. The shipwreck that his wife survived, but the kids did not. And he was on his way on a journey to meet up with his wife. He lost his children, and he wrote that song, It is well, it is well with my soul. He had to choose joy at that point. And I, I read that while I was doing all this research uh, for this, and I thought, I don't know that... that that I can fit that in or if that, that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, lo and behold, the worship team chose that and there it was. And I'm like, I think we need to, we need to point that out. There was a reason for that. You know, one of the perks of, of the pulpit, if you will, is that sometimes if you approach the worship team very carefully and you say, hey, would you mind doing one particular song for me? They will. And so last week I asked Paul, I said, 
would you do joy to the world? But do me a favor. I just have one, one request. Turn Teresa loose on it. Let her go now. <laughs> and you did. Thank you. Thank you for that. Because I didn't want it to be joy to the world. I didn't want that. And so she's back there cooling her fingers off right now. You know, so. <laughs> so there's two ways that we can uh, get joy here. And the first way is abiding in Christ. Jesus says this in John 16, 24. He said, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. In the verses surrounding this passage, Jesus has been telling his disciples what's getting ready to happen, what's coming, and things are going to change for them. After the ascension, he won't be there for them to ask questions, but they'll have the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus tells them to ask in his name, it's important that we remember that this isn't some sort of special key phrase. It's not a magic formula. It's not something that grants wishes. What it, what it is, we know that. This is something that allows us to attach our requests to the work of the Son in doing the Father's will. That's what that is. So when we align ourselves with what we see the Lord doing, and we say, in Christ, then our joy may be full. In John 14, 13 through 14, he says this, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Anyone so, any, so anyone, this is my note here, anyone who has ever prayed for something that they did not get, you may bridle at that a little bit. Wait a minute, doesn't it say right here that if I ask anything, he'll do it? But remember Jesus' clarification. He says, the Son, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Sometimes when we pray and we ask for something, it's about our happiness. It's not about fulfilling God and what God's will is. But when we line up with Christ, then our joy tank gets full. So what brings the greatest joy is not just being in His presence. It's not about uh, being near Him always. It's also about uh, doing what He's commanded us to do. And that brings us joy. John 15, 10 through 11 says this, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Many of you know this, uh, this past week, um, our youngest son Ian's been in Guatemala on a mission trip with the senior, uh, all the seniors from Maryville Christian. I think all but maybe two of them. So 24 kids, eight chaperones, all down in Guatemala together. And, of course, being out of the country for the first time and away from us. And it's been eerily quiet in our house. Not, not that he's loud by any stretch, but, but his presence is missed. 
And I'm sure, you know, many of you that, that are now empty nesters or, or, you know, are right there, you, you kind of, you know that. I mean, there's a transition period. So we sort of joked that this was like a, um, a trial run for us because he's a, you know, a senior in high school. And um, so he's been gone, and the school has been posting pictures up on social media, kind of keeping us updated on what the kids are doing down there in Guatemala. Well, it turns out that Delta Airlines lost over half of the kids' luggage. So they went several days with no change of clothes. So a bunch of sweaty teenage boys down there with, with you know, no way to shower or change clothes. I'm sure that made life just absolutely wonderful. Um, so a lot of the pictures of these kids, they look very unkempt and, and just, they're exhausted. You can kind of see like the circles under their eyes and they're just, it, but what, what impressed me the most was, was you could still see the joy. They have absolutely no reason to be happy at this point. In a foreign country, I got it on very good authority that the Wi-Fi is horrible down there. <laughs> you know, the food is different, everything's different, right? And, 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 and they're just, they can't even, you know, uh, Ian did get his uh, luggage, I think, like three days in or something like that. So we got one text message from the hotel that said, I finally took a shower. So, so there was, <laughs> I'm sure there was joy for Ian's roommates, definitely. <laughs> but, um, but I saw a picture last night. I was just, uh, we got home late. We were at a wedding yesterday, and so we got home late, and, and I was scrolling through, and he hadn't shown up in any of the pictures. Well, there he is, and he's laying on the, on the ground. He's got like three kids climbing on him, which is his happy place. That's, he, he wants to be an elementary school teacher. That's, that's his heart. And he loves little children. And so they're on him, and he is just laughing. And, and, and what I saw at first was, okay, well, that's happiness because he's enjoying it. But it's also joy because he's serving God. And it's a beautiful thing. It really is. Despite the circumstances, I know he's going to be happy to be home. But just that he's been able to do that. And that's joy. It's just joy. So the, another way to acquire joy is to abide with fellow believers. See, sometimes trying to abide with Christ, to be quite transparent and honest with you, can be difficult in the day-to-day, -day, especially if you're trying to fly solo. It's much easier when we can be with other believers. So... Um, let me start with a passage here in 2 Timothy 1.4. 1, Paul writes and says, Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. He wanted to get back together with his, his student, someone that he thought of as a son, and say, you know, because that would fill him with joy. Uh, 1 John 1.3-4, We proclaim to you that we have, what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this, why? To make our joy complete. And my favorite one of these is Second John 1.12. I just love the way this is written, at least in the ESV translation. It says this, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face 
so that our joy may be complete. Anyone under the age of 30 just freaked out at that passage. Can't we just text each other? Right? Can't we just text back and forth? Do we really have to talk? Do we really have to get together face to face? There's a value in that. There's, there's a connection that you can't get. You know, especially if autocorrect goofs up your text, then you're really in big trouble, right? So I'm going to take a second here, and, and I want to remind all of you about tonight. At 6 o'clock, we've got the, the program here, and then we have the banquet afterward. So if, if you are even remotely on the fence about, ah, I, I don't know, I've got so much to do, it's such a busy time of year, come and abide with fellow believers. Hang out. You will have a great time, but it will also fill your joy tank. Don't be on the fence about it. And Pastor Chris said earlier that there's plenty of food, so invite somebody. Bring them. It could be the greatest part of their Christmas holiday for some. So, typically when I start going toward the end of of the sermon, I like to figure out, okay, um, so what do we do with this? Once we, what we've talked about here today. What do we do with joy this holiday season? And I've got to be honest with you. I thought that this would be a slam dunk. I thought this would be the easiest part. Because you think Christmas, you think joy. Most of the Christmas decorations I've seen, I see joy. And we all have a pretty good idea of what that means now. So, but so what? Where do we go from here with it? See, this is supposed to be the season of joy. It's a time when we celebrate the coming of our Lord and the gift of salvation. But for many, Christmas is just something that they try to survive. They try to get through it. And this could be, for many of us, a first Christmas without a friend or a family member who's passed. You may be facing some struggles at work struggles with family, maybe your health, maybe just the idea of getting together with extended family just puts your stress meter way up here. Maybe it does. But don't let the gift of joy go to waste. So let's go back for a second and let's look at what our first example of joy, those shepherds, what did they do with that gift? In Luke 2, Starting verse 15 through 20, it says this. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And this is the part that I put in bold print. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. See, this wasn't a secret that was given to the shepherds. And and they said, hey, hey, we've we've got this great... Thing of joy here, let's just hold on to it and not tell anybody else. 
No. They went out and they spread it. So this joy that you have, this reason for your joy, spread it. Just like the shepherds did. Some interesting statistic about Christmas. 92% of the people in this country celebrate Christmas. 92%. That includes some Jewish people and, and secular people. I mean, 92%. But only 73% of the people who celebrate Christmas even consider the true meaning of Christmas. For them, it's just a holiday. Only 73%. So I don't know where you're going at Christmas. I don't know what you're doing for the holiday season or who you will be with. But I promise you this. If you have joy, if you have that contentment and that peace, no matter where you are, you're going to be noticed amongst all the stress. When the kids are running around like crazy looking for batteries, or uh, you know the, the, the dog has gotten into the house and gotten to the turkey before anybody else, or you know, in all the madness, the lights aren't working, oh no, you know, we can't get into the restaurant on Christmas Eve, all these things. When your contentment is right there, when your joy level is full, somebody is going to go to I wonder, what is it with them? How can they do that? And somebody may ask you. And that's when you get to say, oh, let me tell you about the greatest Christmas present I've ever gotten. One size fits all. And it is literally the gift that keeps on giving. So be like the shepherds. Spread the joy. Some of the greatest opportunities that we have to spread the gospel come this time of year. Remember that joy is a choice. And with joy comes contentment. Abide in Christ. Abide in other believers. Through fellowship, let your joy be the thing that others notice. Let's pray. Father, remind us this time of year that the greatest gift that's ever been given or ever will be given is you. It's your sacrifice for us. It's our eternal salvation. It is the source of our joy that we have eternity with you. Lord, give us eyes to see where we can spread this gift and where we can pass this news. Lord, remind us of the true, true value of you in our hearts. Thank you, Father, for these believers. Thank you for this time for us to be together in Jesus' name. Amen.